Welcome, everyone. Great to see you. I'm Jeff. I'm one of the pastors here and excited to be able to be with you, to share with you. We're in week four of our Summer Psalms series, and uh, I hope you've had an opportunity. We really, really, really want to encourage you to take maybe some time, even every day. I would recommend that every day to read a portion or one of the Psalms. There are 150 of them, so... There are plenty to choose from. And we're just giving you a little tiny taste this summer of some of the Psalms. So um, the Psalms are amazing to me. I mean, they talk about praise and how we can praise God. And yet the next Psalm can talk about deep sorrow. And then you can read the, another Psalm close by and it talks about uh, exalting God. And it talks about the joy of the Lord And then you read a lament psalm. I mean, there's just such a variety. And I think one of the beauties of the psalms is they are so relevant to our lives. They capture kind of where we live and how we feel. And one of the beautiful things to me about the psalms is they're pretty raw, aren't they? They, Some of them are. They're pretty real and raw and really express. You know, I, I think often we think Christians are just supposed to be happy, happy, happy all the time. And we're not, if we're honest. And yet God is good, good, good all the time. He really is. And we need to be reminded of that. So I am excited to be able to jump in and share Psalm 73 with you today. So if you have your Bible, why don't you turn there with me, please, if you would. Um, One of the things that we're going to see in Psalm 73, it's one of the reasons why it's one of my favorites, is because it's very, very real. The author, the human author of Psalm 73 is a man by the name of Asaph. Asaph, during the reign of David, was the chief worship leader of Israel. That's who he was. Undoubtedly a very godly man, probably a very talented musician, probably also a writer. And a writer, he's, he's wrote uh, numerous psalms as well. But what I want you to realize as we walk through this psalm together, that this is a very godly man, okay? He was a Levite, which means that he was a priest, and David hand-selected him among all the Levites to be the chief worship leader, the one who led the worship in the sanctuary of God. And so this man obviously loved God, poured his heart out, to serve God very faithfully. But what we're going to see, my friends, is that godly people can struggle a whole lot as well. Even if we love the Lord with our whole hearts, we often are confused, right? We often have questions, correct? We can even become angry and maybe even bitter toward God. And what I see in Asaph and what I want to share with you this morning is that there are seasons and there are times in the lives of even people who really love God with their whole hearts where we have a hard time with what's going on. We really struggle. So let's go ahead. I'm going to begin in verse 1 of Psalm 73. Again, the words of Asaph. He says, Surely God is good to Israel, to those who are pure in heart. But as for me, my feet had almost slipped. I was nearly, I had nearly lost my foothold. Here's what he is saying. He's saying, I was in a 
point of my life. I was in a season of my walk with God, my leading worship, and I just about said, I'm done. It's over. It's almost as though he is standing on the edge of the cliff of his faith and was ready to say, I'm out of here. I'm going to jump. <laughs> I don't want to do this anymore. Now, notice he uses the word almost and nearly. That's good because he didn't chuck at all. But he was really, really tempted. Man, you ever been there? I mean, it's like it. it you know, really, it's like, okay, I don't think I'm supposed to give up on God or give up on the Christian life. I know I'm not supposed to like just dive headfirst and into a sinful lifestyle. I know I'm not supposed to do those things. But right now I am so confused. I am really struggling. None of this makes sense and I'm not getting any answers at all. And so that's where he is. I love the fact that he says, surely God is good to Israel for those who are pure in heart. Because God will honor our hearts. And God even really understands and tolerates our craziness at times. And the ways that we doubt him and don't believe him. And that's where Asaph was. And again, I think the thing that really strikes me is this is a really godly person. You know, we should not pedestalize people. We may have people whose walk with Jesus Christ we deeply admire. We might have people in our lives who act as role models and mentors to us spiritually. That's fine. We all struggle. We all have seasons in which we're just so discouraged, depressed, confused, and maybe even ready to say the heck with it. We do. That's this life, even for the follower of Christ. So we see this in Asaph. You know, whether you have been walking with Jesus for four years or 40 years, I guarantee you, you'll have seasons where you especially say to the Lord, I really don't get it. I really don't understand why you let that happen. I really don't understand if you are sovereign and all-knowing and all of these things I've learned about your attributes. I really don't see how that is in sync with what just happened in my life. And that's what we see in Asaph. And again, I think most, if not all of us, can really relate to that. I was thinking about those seasons in my life. I had a pretty significant one over the last two and a half years, quite frankly. Some of you know this. Six months ago, my very beloved sister-in-law, an incredibly godly woman, died after a horrible two-year struggle with brain cancer. She's my age. She was married to my brother for 43 years. He was a pastor for almost all those years. So she was a pastor's wife. She traveled all over the world with him, ministering primarily in China and India. They raised seven kids who all love Jesus. They have 19 grandchildren. She was the beloved one of the family. She's in heaven. We're grateful. But I have to admit, that's a real head scratcher for me. That's a head scratcher for me. Some of you have some of those issues in your life, things you've been through, and it's like maybe you've been asking God for some kind of clarity or answer 
regarding that tragedy. And it's been five years, it's been 10 years, it's been 30 years. And heaven is silent. It's hard. You know, I was thinking about some things that people have told me they've been through. People have told me that they struggle with. God, why did our baby die? God, why did our precious teenage daughter choose a life of drugs and living on the street? God, why did my brother who enlisted out of a deep love for his country come home with PTSD and take his own life? Don't get it. Lord, why did I lose my job at the beginning of the pandemic and stay unemployed and we lost our house to foreclosure and later have to file bankruptcy? Why? Why? And sometimes we can just be racked with that kind of questioning and it can lead to anger. It can lead to bitterness. It can lead to depression. It can go in some very bad places, right? can Asaph goes on, Asaph goes on, he says, I was really at my tipping, or I call it his slipping point, because he talks about my feet almost slipped into the abyss of unbelief. Verse three, for I envied the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. They have no struggles. Their bodies are healthy and strong. They are free from common human burdens. They are not plagued by human ills. Therefore, pride is their necklace. They clothe themselves with violence. From their callous hearts comes iniquity. Their evil imaginations have no limits. They scoff and speak of malice. Their arrogance, they threaten. With arrogance, they threaten oppression. Their mouths lay claim to heaven and their tongues take possession of the earth. In verse three, Asaph gives us the reason for his almost chuck in the faith moment. Here's what it is, verse three. He envied the arrogant and the wicked because they had prosperous lives, and he obviously didn't. It did not make sense to him how he and how those who were faithful followers of Jehovah God could serve God faithfully day after day, year after year, walk, live lives of righteousness and godliness and struggle so much and maybe even live in poverty. And he looked over and he saw the wicked, those who even mocked the name of God. And they were flourishing. And he's like, This makes no sense. And maybe in his heart, he began to doubt the love of God and the character of God and the power of God. That's what's going on here. And as I read those other verses, verses four through nine, I mean, he just kind of is is spilling his guts, isn't he, about all of this stuff. It's like he's angry. It's like he just so doesn't get it. What seems to be so unfair and so unjust That's what he's struggling with. I'm assuming that Asaph's train of thought went something like this. Lord, I follow you. I live a righteous life. I serve God's people faithfully. And my life is filled with issues, with problems. I like like, uh, prosperity and I like affluence, like the wicked. He calls them the wicked like they do. 
Now, I think Asaph here is really touching on one of the biggest issues of all of our lives. And that is, (laughs) we think God owes us. We think God owes us. Lord, I am working hard at this righteous living thing. Lord, I am walking and living hard to follow you faithfully. Look at the temptation I have said no to. Look at the commitment and the efforts I've made to honor you more with my life. Look at this. You owe me. We don't say it that way. We certainly feel that way. God, you owe me. I'm entitled. I'm entitled. Lord, I am, an obe- I am obedient to you. I'm entitled to your blessing. Lord, I am faithful to you. I am entitled to be rewarded by you. Lord, I serve others in your name consistently. You should honor me for that. That's kind of how the saying goes, and that's how it certainly can go in my mind. Absolutely. Here's the bottom line. We can say this. I am, an, I, I am entitled to a happy, blessed, comfortable life, Lord. Certainly one better than those who mock you and don't even think you exist. That was his struggle. That's why the chief worship leader of Israel said, I just about chucked my faith. That's what he's saying. He goes on. He's he's very much on a roll here. Look, verse 10. Therefore, their people turn to them, to the wicked, and drink up waters in abundance. They say, how would God know? Does the Most High know anything? This is what the wicked are like. Always free of care, they go on amassing wealth. Do you just sense the sting in his voice? The anger in his voice? So I thought, what's his attitude here? And here it is, resentment. This is resentment. It's the, it's not fair. Any of you heard that phrase uh, this morning in your household or this week? It's not fair. Are any of you parents? (laughs) Of course. And maybe even you heard it from your spouse if you're married. It's not fair. This is not fair to me. Boy, we go there, don't we? We go there. Resentment. Can I tell you something about resentment? It will eat you alive. Undealt with resentment toward a person is bad. Toward God is destruction. Resentment. That's what we see. That's what I see in him. Look at what he says, verse 13. I mean, this is almost like he's unburdening his whole heart and soul to God. Verse 13. Surely in vain I have kept my heart pure and have washed my hands in innocence. All day long I have been afflicted and every morning, every morning brings new punishments. If I had spoken out like that, I would have betrayed your children Then I tried to understand all of this, and it troubled me deeply. I tried to understand, what in the world, God, are you doing? What's going on? And it just 
troubled me. It burdened me. That, that second, second phase or stage attitude we see is he's reflecting, and his reflection is, I don't get it. God, I don't get it. When he says, I don't understand. Now, verse 16 is super convicting to me here because I'm the kind of person who wants to understand. Many of you are this way too. I want the rationale. I want the facts. I want the data. Tell me why. My mom, I remember years ago, said to me, she said, Jeff, do you know what you said all the time to me when you're like three, four, five and older? Why? And she said, not rebelliously, but I know that you just wanted to understand and know why. And that's who I am. That has served me well. It's helped me been a, be a learner. That has been a curse. Because when it's stuff I don't understand and I don't get and I'm not getting answers, it's like it kind of drives me crazy. Even from the Lord, which is very convicting, quite frankly. You think God owes me an answer or owes you an answer? He said, I tried to understand all of this. It just troubles me to the core that the way life works doesn't seem consistent with who God is. That's really very much his point, I think. I don't get it, Lord. I don't get it. I, I was with, I have two adult daughters, and I was with them over the 4th of July, and I love, they're just, I love my girls so much. And I, I told them this. I said, I now define my spiritual growth as my life trying to catch up with my theology. You see, I've been one of those super privileged people who I've known Jesus for 46 years and have just been a real, real student of scripture. And I feel very privileged and honored to do that. So I, I know a lot more than I live. That's what I have concluded. <laughs> so if I could... If my life could catch up with my theology eventually, I will be a much happier guy than I am now. Because I often say, why do I feel this way? Why am I angry? Why am I so disappointed? Why am I so struggling in these areas of my life? I know what God's word says about this. And yet there's such a struggle. And for me, a lot of it is wanting to make sense of things that happen that seem so tragic or inconsistent with God's character. They aren't. I know they aren't because I think my theology is good in that regard, but they aren't. And that's where I see Asaph. Did I tell you that he was the chief worship leader of all Israel? Pretty godly guy. That's where he was, just struggling. So it's okay to struggle, my friends, but it's not okay to live there. It's really not good to live there week after week, month after month, year after year. Because it'll eat you alive. It will. Reflection. I don't get it, Lord. I don't get it. Here's what's beautiful. There is what I call a pivot in the thinking, in the mind of Asaph. It's, I love this. It's in verse 17. It's when there's this shift. Verse 17. Till I entered the sanctuary of God, then I understood their 
final destiny. Surely you place them on slippery ground. You cast them down to ruin. How suddenly they are destroyed, completely swept away by terrors. They are like a dream when one awakens. When you arise, Lord, you will despise them as fantasies. Asaph had an epiphany. Asaph had an aha moment. Asaph had a revelation when he went into the sanctuary of God. His perspective was righted. His perspective became biblical again. He says, now I understand. Now I understand their destiny. Here's his point. His point is there is a final judgment from God and there is an eternity waiting for all of us beyond this life. Scripture calls this life that we are currently living a vapor, right? A breath, a puff. That's this life. And what Asaph is telling us, he finally understood again, was that this life in light of eternity is just a moment in light of eternity. And yes, the wicked and many of them prosper in this life, but there is a day of reckoning. There is a day of judgment. There is a temporal, but there is an eternal. Isn't it so hard to remember that? We are so consumed with today. We are so consumed with this life. We are so consumed with the here and now. And yet God's word is so clear Is there something so much more important beyond the grave? And eternity is not just for those of us who know and love Jesus Christ. There is an eternity for all people. All people. And what Asaph is saying is, thank you, God, for the perspective change. He may have said, thank you for the smack upside the head, because that's probably what this was to him. Because it's like, you're reminding me, that this is, this is a vapor. So how I invest and think about my life in this life regarding eternity is what helps me understand your perspective. It's what helps me understand your priorities for my life. Some of you a little older, closer to my age will remember, I remember seeing this on plaques This little phrase, it's good theology. Only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done, say it with me if you know it, for Christ will last. That's what he's saying. Only one life will soon be passed. It's short, but only what's done in this life to point people to Jesus, to point people to the gospel, to point people to an eternity with God and how that can be their reality is what lasts. I wonder, and I I ask myself first, because I'm convicted by the question I'm going to ask you, how much this past week did you think about eternity? Did you think about eternal things? I'm not even saying, my friends, 
you going to heaven someday. Praise God, we are. But things that last. Investing your life in the things that last forever. Jesus called it treasure in heaven. There's such, thing, such a thing as treasure in heaven. And what is so beautiful about Asaph's revelation is he's saying, oh, I get it. I was, I was fixated on the temporal. You've reminded me it's eternal. It's about eternity. That's where your heart is, God. That's where I want my heart to be too. That's what I see in him. So in light of that understanding, let's move on to verses one and two. Asaph says this, when my heart was grieved, my spirit embittered, I was senseless and ignorant. I was a brute beast before you. Asaph had one of those prodigal son come to your senses moment. That's what happened. I mean, he's saying, I was so off base in how to think about life, Lord. I was so entrenched in the things of this world, the material, temporal, passing away things of this world. I was so misdirected until I walked into the sanctuary. Was it a literal sanctuary? Maybe, but you know, you and I can have our own personal sanctuary time with Jesus, can't we? That communion with him, where God does that attitude adjustment, that course correction in your thinking. And that's what happened to Asaph. And here's what he did. He repented. He repented. That's repentance. That's the next stage I see. Lord, forgive my foolishness. Have you said that recently? Lord, forgive my foolishness. Forgive my sinfulness. Forgive my arrogance. Forgive my unkindness. You know what's really great about asking God for forgiveness? He does. (laughs) He does it. All people don't forgive. Even if you ask, even if you beg, some people will never forgive you and they'll tell you they won't. God always does. Jesus paid the penalty on the cross to forgive. That's how highly it's valued by the Father and by the Son. Forgiveness. But you know, you can be forgiven. You know what you need to do? You need to receive that forgiveness. You need to embrace that forgiveness. There's a phrase I've heard people use a lot over the years. I know God has forgiven me, but I can't, say it with me, forgive myself. And I think about that and I think, you mean the all-holy, almighty, sovereign, majestic Lord of the universe forgave you and you can't? Accept that and live your life basking in his forgiveness. I have ministered, shared with, I have friends 
who, who, who really blew it 10 years ago, 30 years ago. And every day is a shameful reminder that they remind themselves themselves of not embracing the forgiveness of Christ. These are believers. They are controlled by it. They are devastated by it. They are often consumed by it. Do our decisions have consequences? Absolutely. But God forgives. God completely cleanses us from all unrighteousness when we ask him. My friends, we need to embrace that. And to the best of our ability, move on. Repentance. Repentance. Verses 23, I got to wrap here. Verses 23 through 28, these last several verses in Psalm 73, to me are some of the most beautiful, incredible verses in the Psalms. This is a man not only forgiven, this is a man whose whole mindset has shifted radically. And this is what he says, yet I am always with you, Lord. You hold me by my right hand. You guide me with your counsel. And afterwards, you will take me into glory. Whom have I in heaven but you? And earth has nothing I desire besides you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. Those who are far from you will perish. You destroy all who are unfaithful to you. But as for me, it is good to be near God. I have made the sovereign Lord my refuge. I will tell of all your deeds. You know, I've been asking myself since I've been studying this the last week and a half or so. Can I say sincerely from my heart, verse 25, whom have I in heaven but you? And earth has nothing I desire besides you. Wow. You talk about my life needing to catch up with my theology. Just that verse is so powerful. Lord, you are my sufficiency. And for everything else, I trust you. You are my sufficiency. You are my portion. That's the term that he uses. You're my strength. You're my portion. You're my refuge. There's a verse, or it's a couple verses. There's a passage in the New Testament, Colossians chapter 3, verses 2 through 4, that I think just is such a beautiful parallel idea to what Asaph has been talking about. Colossians 3, 2 through 4 say this, set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. For you died... Did you know that when we give our life to Jesus, our old self dies, our old man dies, and he now becomes Lord? For you have died, and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. 
when Christ, who is your life, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. You see the command? Set your mind on things above the eternal, not on things of this earth. Set your mind on things above. Same as Asaph. I really um, have tried to ask the Lord to use this psalm to do a work in my own heart, and I think he's doing that. And one of the joys we have, those of us that have a chance on Sunday morning to stand up here and share God's word with you, is to pray that he does the same, that the Spirit of God uses his word to touch you right where you're living. I know how easy it is, I really do. I've been a Christian a long time. I know how easy it is to put on the happy face on Sunday mornings with your Christian friends, say the right things, while in your heart you are just really struggling, while in your heart you have a fair amount and maybe even a lot of unresolved resentment regarding your life, regarding people in your life, maybe regarding your job, maybe regarding your 2020 season. And because I get it, I can be this way. We just kind of bottle it up, bottle it up, bottle it up, absorb. And it can just do destruction in our minds, in our hearts, even in our bodies. I don't think we surprise God when we tell him we're ticked off. I don't think we surprise him. I don't think we surprise God when we say, not sure if you know how resentful I am of her. He goes, I know. Oh, I know. It's time to deal. It's time to deal. And so my friends, as we look at how Asaph was at the beginning of this psalm, when he talks about this envy that was consuming him, this jealousy, this lack of understanding, how can that happen and God be good? It's about going to him. It's about time in your own personal sanctuary and confessing and acknowledging who he is and by faith trusting him, whether he gives you the answers or not. Man, did I need to hear that from the Lord this week. So that's my prayer for each one of us. And uh, sometimes we just need to release the anger, the resentment, the shame to him and let him start healing us. Amen? We do. Would you pray with me? Father in heaven, thank you for my brothers and sisters. Thank you that your word is so relevant. It's so powerful. Lord, it, is just, it just touches us where we live, and, and um, we admit to you that we struggle. There's so many unanswered questions in life that we don't get. 
and we may never get an answer for, but we just want to say, we want to declare, we trust you. We trust who you are. We trust that you're in control. And may we rest and experience your peace in that. And Father, there may be some with us today that eternity is still a big question mark. I pray, Lord Jesus, that you would open their eyes and open their hearts to what you did for them on the cross. And Lord, that by faith, they would say yes to your forgiveness in their lives. Thank you, Lord. You are amazing. You are amazing. Help us to believe that this life really is a moment of vapor, but what we do in this life matters. Help us to do the work of Jesus Christ. And we pray in his name, amen.